0: Okay, well welcome everyone uh, to our meeting this morning at 140 Clark Street, or if you're joining us online, it's good to have you with us as well, and uh, it's good to um, be able to welcome you to the fourth in our uh, talks on the series we've entitled One Big Question. My name is Mark Rushforth, and uh, it's good to be here with you. And the question that we're looking at today, um, which could be asked of God, is simply this, God... What's up with 2020? What is up with 2020? You know the expression, it's been one of those days? Well, a good number of us feel it's been one of those days for about the last eight months. Um, For many of us, 2020 has been a year when there has been little good news at all. Um, uh, It all started off with potential conflict in North Korea, and then quickly, more bad news was added day by day, week by week, murder hornets, all sorts of things. If you haven't seen our promo for this talk, um, here are some of the headlines of 2020 so far.
1: Pictures and stories continue to file out from Australia about the devastating fires. Kobe Bryant has been killed. The coronavirus is officially a pandemic. Declaring a national emergency. At least 16 people are dead after a gunman moved through several Nova Scotia c- Africa is facing
0: another plague, locusts. Say his name? Floyd. I can't the nest of murder hornets. You can see police here now firing tear gas into the crowd. But another full national lockdown. Reclaim Hong
1: Kong, they chant, through intercontinental ballistic missiles.
0: Strong earthquake in the Aegean Sea has shaken Turkey. No
1: Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected. If you count the legal votes, I
0: easily win.
1: Cases continue to soar in many parts of Canada.
0: All right. Just a few of the the events that's cheered us all up here. Um, Some of those events may have hardly touched us at all, yet some of them will have affected us quite considerably. And I guess COVID-19, is the one which has dominated much of our thinking this year. Even though we haven't had a huge number of people in New Brunswick who've been directly affected by the virus, there's been lots of indirect effects. Um, Here's a meme which uh, shows possibly one of those effects regarding people's travel plans. I don't know if you can see that uh, so closely up. Expectations of uh, Sydney Opera House, maybe, the reality. Have a few plates on a, uh, on a drainer. <laughs> so where is God in all of this? Has God simply given up? That's the question for today. It's a summary question. Um, some of the individual questions that were asked in our survey on this topic were these. At what point will you intervene, God, in the steady destruction of our planet? Someone else asked, why can't people get along? How do we stop the hatred? God, why have you allowed the coronavirus? And why does God not intervene when people are going down a bad path? Those are some of the actual questions that were submitted um, when we were trying to decide what to focus on in this series. In many ways, the question ties in with another one which we addressed a few weeks ago, um, which I spoke on, which was, God, why do you allow suffering? and you might want to listen to that on our YouTube channel or on Christ Central CA, if you haven't heard that already. I don't want to repeat myself from what I said in that, but many of the things that I said in that talk are are directly relevant to, to this topic as well, so you might want to dovetail those together. Certainly, this year has taken its toll on everyone in a different ways. We've been confronted with big issues about racism. We've seen the lockdown of cities the banning of sporting and musical events, travel restrictions. There's been a strain on our health systems. There's been restrictions on whether people can see family members even when they're dying and at the end of their life. There's been knock-on effects such as increased mental health issues and depression, marriage breakup, an increased death rate um, because of operations being cancelled or drug overdoses or homicides. Fear has been stalking the world this year people are feeling very vulnerable and uncertain about the future it's hard to know even who to believe or who to trust in the media that is sent out and in our social media feeds many things have become politicized to a huge extent especially in the United States maybe it's been a tough year it's been a tough year especially as many of us have never been through anything like this before in our lives. Yet, historically, certainly, it isn't the first time that bad things have happened. In AD 541 to 542, the plague of Justinian killed over 25 million people, and that was with a much reduced global population. In 1346 to 1353, the Black Death killed between 70 to 100 million people. That was just over 20% of the world's population at the time. 20% of the world died in the Black Death. If you go back just 100 years, you had the Spanish, uh, well, first of all, the First World War, followed by the Spanish flu at the end of that. Spanish flu killed 50 million people. Then there was the Great Depression at the end of the 20s. And then into the 30s, and then the Second World War, began 1939, lasted until 1945, effects of that lasting much longer. Early on in the 20th century, lots of things fairly quickly after another. But since then, there's been relatively little on that scale, and most of our lifetimes have, have been free of all of these things. Certainly there's been one or two things that have happened to cause great concern, such as our effect on the environment, but mostly we've got by and life's been pretty good corporately. And then 2020 came. But since then, obviously this year has been a major time for many people. So what is God doing in these times? Is he, is he punishing people for their sins? Is he wanting to teach us something? Has God given up on us? These are the big questions that I want to examine this morning. And we can examine together. As a society, for the last eight or nine months, we have been very focused on trying to preserve our physical health. But as one thing and another has been stripped away to keep us safe, many of us are realizing that our physical health is increasingly looking like a hollow value when it's devoid of any purpose. Well, what is life about, even if we've got our health? Those are the questions that some people are asking Some people at first appreciated the enforced pause in our busyness of our lives. They realized that they'd been consumed with work, kids, sporting activities, other things. So it was good to stop. It was good to slow down. But what was going to replace those things? You can only do so many puzzles or bake so many loaves of bread. In In time, for many, the appreciation of that extra Space and time was replaced with a sense of emptiness, sometimes despair. What's life all about? What's my purpose? So let's look at some possible answers as to what God is doing in 2020 and let's see what the Bible has to say about them. That's a good place to look to find out what God thinks. Look at the Bible and what He says. And some of those things might be uncomfortable, some of those things might surprise us. But let's wrestle with what the Bible tells us about God as we look at this. So firstly, God's judgment. That's a topic which most people these days just do not want to hear about. You think, hang on, we've, we've already gone through all of these things in 2020 and now you're going to talk about God's judgment. Most people don't want to hear about it. It's a lot of controversy over, year, over the years. Don't switch off, I'd encourages us in the 1980s the aids pandemic began to spread around the world and since then it's killed around 32 million people Um, and actually still 1 million people die of aids every year Um, so far covid deaths for context worldwide stands at just under 1.4 million Um, so covid 1.4 million so far this year aids about a million every year Um, and it's been going on since the 80s And at the time that AIDS came to the forefront of people's um, minds, some people began to suggest that AIDS was God's judgment, especially on certain communities whose lives, in their opinion, were immoral. Some people were very, very strong on this, vocalized it, directed a lot of of quite hateful uh, things, really, that were said to particular communities. And... That was one side of it. Other people reacted against that and said, hey, 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 look, of course, this is not God's judgment on these people's sin. What does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about that? And we can apply it to today, maybe. Luke chapter 13 and verses 1 through 5 give us Jesus's answer on that. Jesus is talking about uh, people who'd been killed, Galileans who'd been killed by the Romans. And Jesus says this. There were present at that season some who told him, told Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and he said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent you'll all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Obviously, another tragedy that had happened that people knew about, a tower falling, killing 18 people. Jesus said, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. What was Jesus saying about judgment here? He was, he was saying, no look, the tragic events that brought about their death were not the direct result of their sin. It's not like they'd done something that made them worse than everyone else, and God is coming down and judging them and saying, right, I'm going to kill you. Jesus is saying, don't think that that is the case. But Jesus was also saying, don't think that this tragedy is just one of those things that happened and God has got nothing to do with it. He says, unless you repent, similar things will happen to you. That's a hard thing to hear. What this passage in Luke's gospel is actually saying, what Jesus is saying here is that disasters have got a merciful message within them. That might be hard to get hold of. They've got a merciful message within them. They're telling us this. They're telling us the reality that we are all sinners bound to For destruction. A disaster that happens grabs our attention. It shakes us from the illusion that we're all safe and that we're going to be immune from tragedy and from death. But it's also a gracious opportunity for us to repent and to be saved while there is still time. I'll explain a little bit more about that in a moment. Jesus is saying, don't talk about those people who've died and try to figure out why it is that they've died. Let's talk about you. The issue isn't their sin. The issue is your sin. That's what Jesus is saying. And we struggle a lot with it. We struggle a lot with it. Listen, we all long for justice to be done in the world, don't we? Many people seek to bring about justice themselves if they feel that it's not going to happen elsewhere, if they feel the courts aren't going to bring about Justice. We get distraught, we get angry if we feel that people have got away with something. Even this week, we've seen responses in New Brunswick to the verdict in the murder trial that's been going on. People get angry about it. They have emotions set up. They feel that's not right, many people. And you only need to look at people's comments on social media when people have spread COVID-19. Maybe because they've not quarantined properly. And you look on the comments section and people are saying, we should find these people. We should fire them from their workplaces. We should force them to quarantine in a secure unit, maybe even for longer than the 14 days. Make them quarantine for 28 days. I've seen all of those comments, even just yesterday, as I scrolled through some of the social media feeds about people who have maybe inadvertently spread COVID-19. And so we're quite happy about that. And we're quite happy about justice to be done if it seems that God is the one who's punishing people too. We use phrases like, oh, well, they're getting their just desserts. Is that a phrase here? It is in England anyway. Close. <laughs> I meant to check that one beforehand. <laughs> or we, ha- we say, they had it coming to them. Or we might talk about karma. It's all just karma. It's, you know, what goes around comes around. All of those things. We, we like to feel justice is being done. These people have done something that is wrong and they're getting what they deserve for it. But we only welcome God's intervention in the lives of other people. We don't, we don't welcome it in our own lives. We believe that God should be getting rid of all the evil people around us. That's what was behind some of the questions, really, that were asked. God, when are you going to intervene in people's destruction of the planet? God, why don't you stop the hatred in the world? There's almost an idea that it's out there somewhere. It's these other people. It's everyone else who's the issue. God, why don't you do something to stop them? John Gray, who is an atheist and also a philosopher, said this. He said, our greatest need is to change our view of human beings, which sees themselves as inherently good. He says, let's not think of ourselves as being pretty good. I'm good on the whole. The Bible's even clearer in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It, It says there's no one who's righteous, there's no one who's good, not even one. Once we've grasped that we are flawed and that we ourselves can think evil thoughts and we can do evil things, shouldn't we just be asking whether... We shouldn't be just asking whether God is judging the sin of others, but we should be asking, God, why do you tolerate me? Why do you even tolerate me? Why do I not have these things happen to me? Something to wrestle with. The Bible does speak about God's judgment. But the second thing, I believe, follows on from that, and that's God's wake-up call. God is calling us on a global scale, I believe, to turn to him. A word that's often used is the word repentance. All repentance means is simply to change our mind, to change our hearts, so that we love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. The Bible tells us that we've exchanged that love of God for a love of lesser things, a love of things that he gave us that were good things, good gifts even, um, things that God's graciously provided for us to enjoy, creation, um, pleasure family work other things all good things but we've begun to worship those things we've begun to focus on those things and have those things the bible says it's an they become idols that's a word that is often used they're all good things from god but we've begun to worship them instead of worshiping the god who gives them to us the creator and now because of that creation is falling apart natural disasters occur Our freedom of movement's been taken away. Our business activities have been affected. Our financial security has gone. Our relationships have got limited for many a fracturing. All of those things that we might have worshipped, we might have put our hope in, we might have had as our main focus in life, all of those things are being affected in 2020. And one reason God exposes us to this loss is to awaken us to rely on. On Christ and not on those things. The Apostle Paul says it in one of his letters to the Corinthian church. He talks about the troubles he's been going through and he says this to the church. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we've experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of life itself. Indeed, We felt we had received the sentence of death. we were going through a pretty tough time. And then he says this, But this happened, not that we, sorry, that this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul's saying, all these bad things have happened. I mean, and he's someone who loves God, and he follows God, and he's serving God, and he's planting churches, and he's doing all of these things, but he's saying, all of these things have happened to me. Why are they happening? And he's, he's come to the conclusion they are happening so that we would rely on God who raises the dead and not on ourselves. That's what he's figured out. They couldn't do anything themselves to make it better, and God had allowed that to happen. In 2020, we've been focused on making sure that we or those that we love, do not die of COVID-19, primarily. But what are we really doing? We're playing the odds. We're trying to reduce the odds that we will die. For the average American, COVID-19, statistically, has increased the risk of dying in 2020 by 10%. So it's 10% more likely that the average American will die in 2020 because of COVID-19. So of course, we want to get that statistic down. We want to get it down to 5%. We want to get it down to 2%. Eventually, obviously, we want to get it down to zero. But what are the chances that we'll die of anything else in a, any given year? That's, there's odds about how often we'll, likely we are to die of COVID. What about other things? There's actually online calculators that you can use. That's a fun thing to do on a Sunday afternoon for you. Online calculators to figure out what are the odds you're going to die within the next year. (laughs) Okay, so I did it. I'm 51. You've got to put your age in. Some are really detailed. You've got to put all your lifestyle things in as well. I just did a simple one. I'm 51. It said the odds of me dying, just generally, outside of COVID, in the next year, are 1 in 223. 1 in 223 chance that I will die uh, within the next 12 months. I thought, well, what about if I was 70? So I put 70 in. By the time you're 70, your odds of dying within a year are down to 1 in 42. 1 in 42 chance that you're going to die within the next 12 months. By the time you're 80 years old, it's 1 in 15. 1 in 15. And let me tell you, the odds of us dying at some point in our life are 1 in 1. (laughs) We're all going to die. The point is we were already sentenced to death before COVID-19 even appeared. And actually many of us were destined, are destined to die in painful ways. That is the harsh reality. Now there's just one more painful way, which has been added to a number of other painful ways and existing ways that we might die. So is COVID-19 God's loudspeaker to the world to say, at some point, you know, everyone's going to die. At some point, you are going to die. Are we only putting all of our hope into trying to avoid death by COVID or to reduce the odds that that's going to happen? Jesus told a parable about two men who built houses, which were symbolic of their lives. And trouble and disaster came to both in the form of wind and waves in the parable he he talked about. He said, one house, one life, was built upon sand. And when trouble came, when the wind and waves come, it fell. It was destroyed. And then the other one, which was built upon rock, stood when trouble came. And Jesus was saying this. He said, if you build your life upon me, and you follow me and live your life based on what I'm saying, that is like building your house on rock. In that circumstance, you will be safe and secure. And Psalm 46, verse 1 says similarly, God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. Jesus is saying it's far better to stand on the rock of certainty than on the sand of probabilities. We can try with all our might to try and reduce probability to reduce the chance that we were gonna die of COVID-19 or of some other thing. But in the end, we've gotta move our lives from being built upon sand to being built upon the rock, which is Christ. Are the events of 2020 waking us up to the reality of what the Bible says, drawing us to Christ, who will be our solid foundation, our ever present help in times of trouble? I would suggest maybe that is what God is doing. And thirdly, God's intervention then. So, okay, how do we do that? How can we come to Christ? What do we need to do to make things right? Because we might try everything in our power to set things right. We might, we might give ourselves to campaigning for justice in the world. We might protest and march for different causes. We might lobby governments to legislate um, to protect the environment. We might do all we can in our power to protect other people from COVID-19 by keeping our distance, wearing masks, doing everything the government tells us to do. What more can we do? We need God to intervene because all of these things don't seem to be enough. The good news is God has already intervened. He hasn't left us to figure it out for ourselves. He hasn't remained distanced from us. God himself came down to rescue us from the judgment that we've talked about, the judgment of rebellion against him. He was born as a human in the person of Jesus, and he lived a perfect life, loving and honoring God the Father and doing his will, the life that none of us have lived, the life that none of us could live. He showed us how it should be. He showed us what that life was like, but he also showed us we couldn't do it. He showed us the bar was set too high. He told us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not good enough to say, I've never killed anyone. He said, but even if you're angry with someone, um, you're going to be judged. He told us it's not good enough to say, I've never committed adultery. He said, you're going to be judged for your lustful thoughts. And we're left thinking, huh? The bar is set too high. And he intended to tell us that. He intended to show us it wasn't good enough. We can't live to that standard. Because then on the cross, Jesus was punished. Not for anything he'd done. He'd lived the perfect life, remember. But for what we had done. And in taking the punishment for our sin, he exchanged it for his righteousness his goodness that he had he exchanged it for the relationship with the heavenly father that he had so now when we come to God the father and when the father looks at us he doesn't see our sin he sees Jesus as perfection and he loves us and he accepts us we can come to him on the basis of that on what God has already done and what we could never do And his resurrection shows us above everything else that death has been defeated. That's what we've just been singing in that song, Raise a Hallelujah. Death is defeated. The king is alive. The odds of one out of one people dying are torn up. And we're promised a guarantee of eternal life, living in a renewed world the way it should be, with no more death no more suffering, no more sickness, all the evil in the world will be gone. It will be put right. And God has already begun. When's God going to intervene in the world? He has. He has in the person of Jesus Christ. So finally this morning, for all of those who already know and trust in Christ, Some of us, many of us maybe here this morning, already know Jesus' love and forgiveness. For us, what's God doing in 2020? I believe that God is stirring his church to care for the world, to reach people with his message of hope that we've just been talking about. Now, part of that involves being responsible along with the rest of society if we go around arrogantly proclaiming that God is going to protect us from COVID-19 and we don't need to comply with any government regulations and directives which are there for protection of society, if we take that line, we're not going to win anyone over to Christ. We're just not. It will turn people against us. It will seem arrogant. And in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, the Israelites were quarantined to restrict the spread of infectious illnesses. It's not something which is anti-God to do those things. So we follow the directives and guidelines about physical distancing and other things, as long as they don't go against what God explicitly tells us to do in this world. And by doing so, we love our neighbors. That's one way of loving our neighbors. But you know, it's far more than that. Because as followers of Jesus, we can maintain a perspective that others struggle to have. Because we know this life is not the end. And we know that COVID is only one way that our life on Earth might finish. So how are we to live? Well, firstly, we can live without fear. C.S. Lewis wrote the following in the late 1940s, when there was an incredible fear of the atomic bomb being dropped and killing millions. You remember, at the end of the war, the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so there was such fear that this was going to happen, in the world and and maybe this was the whole world was going to come to an end because the now wars have become atomic and nuclear uh, in the future so he wrote this and I'm going to substitute what he said about atomic age and I'm going to substitute it with COVID-19 just to get a context Um, don't get hung up on his lack of physical distancing in some of his examples of course he didn't know about that so he says this In one way, we think a great deal too much about COVID-19. How are we to live in a pandemic age? I'm tempted to reply, well, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you might have lived in a Viking age um, when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of dementia, an age of paralysis, an age of nuclear threat, an age of gunmen in our cities, an age of car accidents. In other words, don't let's begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all who you love were already sentenced to death before COVID-19 appeared, and we had, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, and we still have that, It's perfectly ridiculous to go around whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have just added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which has already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. The first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by COVID-19, let it, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing our children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about pandemics. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. We don't need to live in fear if we live in Christ. And secondly, I believe God's teaching us to love our neighbor in this time. So we can avoid selfish attitudes leading to things like hoarding of toilet paper. We can take steps to care for people who are struggling by talking to them and praying for them and helping them when they're in need. We can overcome self pity and fear with courageous joy to do the works of love that glorify Christ. And we can do good deeds. And, and yet yeah, a lot of people do good deeds. I, I understand and accept that. But we can do good deeds in spite of danger because we know we've got an eternal future ahead of us. First Peter second 2 verse 12 says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Don't let the possibility of suffering or even the reality of suffering stop you from doing good deeds. Our call from God isn't just to protect ourselves and to protect our families. It's far, far greater than that. Jesus actually calls us to lose our lives for the sake of Christ. He says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Francis Chan, the leader of a megachurch in South San Francisco, has recently announced that he's moving to Asia next February to be a missionary. He's giving up his leadership of this huge church, and he's going into a very um, remote and dangerous place. It's not a safe move in so many ways. I'm just going to play you three or four minutes of what he said about this. Um,
1: there's a verse that I, because again, I'm telling you, it's by the grace of God that I have courage. And my wife and I are planning on going to some sketchy places and, and you just go, what? What do we believe? Do we believe this? Do we believe he's worth it? And there's a verse again, like I say, I probably said, oh, I get it, I get it. I didn't get it. Cause now I'm wrestling going, do I really believe this? In Acts 20 verse 24 Paul says, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says in all truth, I don't consider my life of any value. You see me living, breathing, my life, my wife, my kids, my platform, everything else, No value, zero, not of any value. It's not precious to me. The only thing that's precious to me is I've been given a mission to get this message of the gospel of grace. And so for me to live is to preach that message. And I would much rather die because I don't count my life on this earth of any value. So to look at this verse and go, God, do I believe this? Because other people seem to value my life. And they go, no, 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 we've got to keep you alive. No, your messages, they're important. They're this, they're that. No, we could have said that about the apostle Paul. Oh, we should have kept him alive another 30 years. But no, he goes, I don't count my life of any value. All I'm here to do is speak this message. And it's so easy to begin to value your life in a verse like this, it just seems to make no sense Because in the church, in America, we are obsessed with staying alive. And it's just very normal to us. Be careful, be careful, stay alive, because I value your life and you should too. And we hear all the message. My wife and I, it's like, oh, but your kids—they need you. They need you to stay up. Your ki- no, my kids don't need me to stay up. They don't need a dad to stay alive till they're through high school. They need a dad who's willing to die for the gospel. And if something like that were to happen, you know, I tell man, it's the grace of God in my life because I'm scared of that. But maybe God will give me courage at that moment. Okay, when I talk about God's blessing. It's not just, oh, he has this nice little family, they're going to. No, his blessing is the courage he gives us. And if, if it were to, I don't want you to, to go, oh, he went over there and you know got this virus or whatever or, or got imprisoned or whatever and God failed him. No, that's actually the grace of God that gave me the courage. And if he gives me courage to die in his name, then forever I'm one of those. This scares me in the flesh. But if I get there, it's by the grace of God that he would give me this type of courage and i just say that because this is the safety in the christian life that for me to live is christ and to die is gain and everything's gonna be fine everything is fine in the end and the battle now is trying not to save my life when it's comfortable and it's good but trusting his word not counting my life of any value but believing that to lose your life, that's when you find it.
0: Challenging. So what's up with 2020? God's taking us through some tough times for sure. But I believe the Bible teaches us that God is at work in 2020. He's not absent. God is mercifully giving us a as a society, a glimpse of his judgment to come because of humankind's rebellion. He's giving us a wake-up call, and he's showing us that nothing that we put our hope and our trust in, in this life is certain. It's sinking sand. He's calling us to stand on him, the solid rock. He's showing us through the church and through his word that he's already intervened in our desperate situation. He has made a way by which everything will be as it should be, And we can know God. And he's waking up the church to the truth that we don't have to live in fear and be consumed with saving our own lives, but we live being prepared to lose our lives for the sake of Christ, knowing that afterwards we will gain everything. He's sending us out with that message of hope into a world which is full of turmoil. So let's embrace all that God is doing in and through these difficult times. And let's walk into the rest of 2020 and beyond knowing him in our lives. I'm just going to invite the band to come back up and just close us with a song. I'm just going to pray also. Why don't we stand together? If you're able to do that. Some, some tough things today, some tough things. As I was preparing this, you know, we got set the question and I, and I thought, what am I going to say about this? And so let's look and see what the Bible says. And I just thought, we can't shy away from what the Bible is telling us. We can't hide away from the truth. It's there in God's word. Sometimes we need to see things in a different way. Father God, help us to do that. Help us to change our perspective on things. Lord, sometimes we can get tempted to just view things in the way that others view them. But Lord, I believe you're speaking to us even this morning. I believe you're encouraging us that we can know you. We can build our lives and have them on a solid foundation. And Lord, in you we have hope which goes far beyond covid goes far beyond 2020, goes far beyond our life on this earth right now, but it's for eternity. Encourage us in that, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord. Those who know you send us out in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to live and to work for your praise and glory. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.